to be here this morning with you all. And we're very excited to share all that the Holy Spirit has placed in our hearts through the scripture this morning. Before we get there, though, does anyone remember the title of last week's sermon? Are we there yet? We challenged all that rather than being so focused on the destination, we should rather focus on the beautiful details along the journey. We walked through much of Deuteronomy 8 with you and challenged everyone in the room to reflect on what God has done and prayed that he would restore vision and dreams in the place that we might move excitedly towards his works in life. Who was blessed by that last week? Who had a time of reflection throughout the week where they were beginning to remember, whoa, this has been a crazy journey to be here, right here, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who in this room, maybe outside of Caleb and Ray, but raise your hands as well. It was maybe your first time hearing like the entire story of how Remnant Church came to be, how we got where we are. Who in this room was that their first time ever hearing the full story? Okay, so a couple of you. Yeah, was that a blessing to you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, we ended it in Deuteronomy 9 last week, and that's where we're going to start today's message. Go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 9. Say there when you are there. Picking up in verse 1, the Lord says, Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you, and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly, as the Lord promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Mm. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness nor your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving this good land for you to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Man, why do we have to end out with stiff-necked people last week? Well, it's because, if we're being honest, there's still stiff-necked left in us. Stiff-neckedness. Yes, that word. So did you know that the Anakites actually were known to have giant necks thick big old necks long it, their name literally means long neck so could you long, imagine me looking at these these people and then god turned around and calls you stiff necked you're like wow lord but hey he's still delighted to work with them did you see that it was not just the lord that was driving it out he says you will help me drive out the enemies in the land and as we drive out the enemies of the land, we begin to look less like stiff necks and more like our father. Come on, church. You serve a God who delights in working with you and dispossessing the enemies in the land. Amen? Yeah, amen? Taking hold of what is truly his and uplifting his sons to grow into all that he's called them to be. Yet, we see here that though his work is being completed, he makes a clear judgment. We are a stiff necked people. First, let me tell you that this is not an attractive trait, by the way. Actually, this is a trait that follows many beasts of burden. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sin, the bondage that misdirects us, 
will lead us straight into a life of burden and slavery. But today, we're going to throw it off. Come on. So that we reflect Yahweh more than we reflect His enemies. Amen? Amen. Rather than being a people who are difficult to work with, let us, church, be people who delight in Him as He delights in us. Today, we're going to highlight and call out that which works to choke out the Son's passion and excitement to take one step forward each day towards God's promise. Because remember, we're not so focused on the destination, but we absolutely are receiving vision and a target to take a step forward each day. We're going to challenge you with this question this morning. And what you would ask yourself in this journey as God is giving you vision. It says, Lord, what step do I take today for the journey? Remember, God speaks and gives clear direction and vision to his people. What is it then that throws us into confusion? Church, today our message is titled, Do You Believe Yet? Do you believe yet? Romans 4, 18-22 says, In hope, speaking of Abraham, in hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Mm. But in fact, he grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do exactly what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Mm. Saints, this morning we are growing into men like Abraham, whose faith did not waver even in the midst of many unanswered questions. Last week we answered the question, are we there yet? But you know what that answer sparks? A lot more questions. Well, where are we at now? If we're not there, where are we? Where are we going? We, all, we, we don't talk about the destination. Okay, well, how do we get there? We don't even know where we're going. All those are questions that are left unanswered at the end of the day, and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe the Lord is hesitating to reveal to you the destination because he just wants you to be in the moment with him. No amount of unbelief deterred Abraham from believing the promise God had spoken over him and his family. Scripture says that he was fully convinced, actually quite the opposite of wavering. The Lord makes a point. He did not allow unbelief to set in in any form or fashion. Actually, he grew in his belief in his faith. Instead of falling prey to unbelief, he set his eyes on the one who spoke the word, and he actually grew in his faith. This is what the spirit-filled life of every son and daughter in this room this morning should look like. Does it look like that for you this morning? If it does not, we're going to be there by the end of this message, amen? The reality is that not all of us are there, but the coming reality is that we will be. Saints, this morning we're going to come right out and say it because you can handle it. Unbelief is demonic. Unbelief is demonic. It is used as a weapon by the enemy to cripple the sons and daughters of the king. It causes men and women to be unproductive. It leads to a lifestyle of inaction versus a righteous lifestyle of action, causing you to move backwards, not forwards. We say around here a lot, no movement, or uh, let's see. Uh, no movement in the kingdom is moving backwards. The kingdom's always advancing. So if you think, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm on pause. I'm just waiting for the promise. But you're not doing anything to seek the Lord for the promise. You're really just moving backwards. The kingdom doesn't pause. The kingdom keeps going and you get left behind at some point. Last week we talked about how we aren't there yet, but we are right where God wants us to be. Enjoying the journey as we go, relying on him every step of the way. And our question to you as we start to dissect this topic of do you believe yet is not only do you believe yet but do you believe that we'll get there wherever there is church this morning we're going to target unbelief this is what the message is about and then we're going to walk into towards the end of the message talking about right belief because there's always hope in jesus yeah. we're going to spend a few minutes kind of painting a picture of you what unbelief does to the son and then we're going to turn around and say what belief does for the son. Yeah. 
A quick, I love always do this. I just love to give you the answer of, of the solution first. The solution is Jesus. Okay? But we do need to walk through how we in our hearts still carry unbelief, which causes us to stop, halt, and become unproductive. Galatians 5 verse 7 says this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Therefore, unbelief is demonic. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who throws you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Come on, have you ever been walking along a journey and you feel like you have a, a direction from the Lord and you start walking and then you start to doubt? Something comes creeping into your life and then you actually, instead of just doubting, you, re, you start to reconsider. Who in this room has ever competed in some sort of endurance race before? Honestly, I have not. I don't like running. I don't think I have either. When you begin the race, for those who have ran, when you begin the race, it is far different than when you make it a few miles in. Am I right? Even running on a treadmill, even doing it at CrossFit. Whoo, CrossFit. You should ask Joshua about how CrossFit went yesterday. Dylan, Tico, the beginning of CrossFit is way different towards the end of CrossFit, right? You're exhausted. There's so many things going on. You're running this race. You're lifting these weights. And then there's this, something comes creeping on, in on you. Yes. It comes in in your mind. It says, do you want to die or do you want to live? It's within our human nature that when we feel any level of discomfort, we begin to raise questions in our head as to why the heck we're doing it. This leads to a level of fatigue because now all you can think about is when it will be over versus just the joy of being in the mission. Come on, the moment that you begin to start thinking about how tired you are, you get about three times more tired. This leads to a new level of fatigue because now all you can think about is when this will be over or even worse, consider if the race you're running is even the right race to be in in the first place. Paul is describing something very common to man here in Galatians 5. It is a reality every one of us face within our walk towards the promises of God. We all are those who have been given clear target worth running hard towards. Amen? Amen. But within this endurance race marked out for us, there are voices of discouragement that will try to persuade those who are running forward to stop and consider and possibly even reconsider why. Unbelief. You received a word, you believe it, you start carrying it out in action and all of a sudden you start thinking and considering maybe the reasons why you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Unbelief is a tool from the enemy. It's demonic, and it will cause you to stop and be, not be fruitful. Here's some ways that the voice of unbelief manifests itself. In light of a race, but you'll start to realize it's not just about unbelief during the journey. There's unbelief everywhere. Number one, maybe I'm not qualified to be in this race anyway. Number two, this is a waste of my time, and I could be doing something better and more beneficial. Unbelief. Three, this race is too hard, and I am destined to fail its course. God, you set me out on a journey that I am destined to fail. Why are you doing this to me right now? Four, I'm being outpaced by everybody else, and I want to quit right now. I should probably just give up now and stop wasting my time because obviously I am not fit for this. Unbelief. Church, the greatest tactic the enemy will ever use is to get you to believe that God's instruction may have flaws, may not be necessary, might even be flat out wrong. Yeah. But church, let me remind you that his ways are perfect. Yeah. 
In this passage, we are talking about a race. And yes, we do have a responsibility in running to win. But I tell you now that unbelief can be and will manifest in ways far more than just our belief in whether we can finish or not. Unbelief in general, if not checked, will take root and infiltrate you. Why, church, is this topic so important to the Holy Spirit? Because if unbelief takes root, it will take you and it will work to kill all momentum and ultimately leave his sons unproductive and without vision, period. You once had a vision, now you're not having vision anymore because you've literally thought yourself out of it. Have you ever met a hopeless person? Raise your hand. Have you ever met a hopeless person? Have you ever met a hopeless person or have you ever been a hopeless person? Amen. Me too. Not anymore in Jesus' name because we are about to get our belief right. Someone say, do you believe yet? Saints, have any of you ever been given a promise from the Lord? Whether it be, yeah, Morgan, yeah, you have. Whether it be from you or for you, for a family member, maybe gave you a word about a job, or maybe the salvation of a friend. All of you have experienced that in some form or fashion, right? Good. Because we're here to warn you this morning that any kind of unbelief in whatever spoken word that was can choke it out over time. Turn with us to Mark 4. Say there when you're there. We're going to pick up in verse 13. On the back of Jesus preaching on the parable of the four soils, his disciples ask him, what the heck does that mean? And starting in, verse 13, starting in verse 13, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the, the seed along the path where this word is sown. When they hear it, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear a word immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves but they endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the words spoken to them they immediately fall away the others are the ones sown among thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30, 60, and 100 fold. Come on, most of you are familiar familiar with the parables of the four soils. The seed on the path, the rocky ground, the seed thrown amongst thorns, and then the seed thrown amongst the good soil. Notice that in all four scenarios, the sower being the Lord, sows the word. That word is logos, the spoken word of God. In all four soils, the Lord plants the word, the promise, the spoken word to you and your family. If our hearts are the soils this morning and our measure of belief in the word spoken is what dictates how well we receive it, then as Jesus says, there's a few different ways we can receive this word. When your heart is so hardened to the things that God speaks to you, the word that he's trying to give you cannot be received in any way, shape, or form. Because you are set in your ways of unbelief, or stiff-necked, as Deuteronomy says. Hard-headed, immovable, unwilling to believe just to give him a chance. Think about this dirt road that you take to, before you hit this corner at the pond up here to get onto this property. You know how hard that road is? It's not that the dirt 
several inches or feet under it can't produce anything if you were to plant there. It's that that ground's way too hard to plant anything in the first place. If you throw seed along that path back there, then as soon as you walk away, squirrels, birds, any other animals are going to come and take that away. Nothing, that ground cannot receive what you give it. That is a hardened, immovable heart who refuses to believe that you can accept something from the Lord and believe it, to watch it come to pass. Or you could be like the rocky soil. When your heart is full of junk, like rocks or boulders, the words spoken to you can in fact be received because in a rock bed, things can still technically grow because under those rocks are soil. So the word can be received, and the scripture says the word is received with joy in those situations, but only for a short time because it was never able to take root fully. You were never able to actually believe it and walk in it like you should because your belief and your faith in the Lord was lacking. What about the third soil with the thorns? When your heart is able to receive and hear the word spoken, but is also full of ungodly, disease-ridden desires and distractions, leading the word planted in you, it becomes infected all the way down to its root. So in this one, it does take root. Because you have to think about this. Thorns just don't appear. They grow. Thorn bushes grow out of the soil, same as anything good grows out of the soil. A little further on in Mark, as Jesus is explaining the parable in its plainest form before he explains it, he says that the thorns grow out and grow up and choke out the good seed that was planted. So the seed, the word, the promise that was given to you gets choked out by your distractions and your selfish motives. Come on, a lot of you this week, we've all talked about selfishness all week. Yep. Right? Those things are forms and symptoms of some sort of unbelief in you that refuses to believe what the Lord said to you and how to do everything on your day-to-day -day basis is true. Or else you would do it. Unbelief can literally choke out the word or the promise given to you by Yahweh, causing it to become unfruitful according to Jesus in Mark 4. Think about that for a minute. Unbelief is so wicked that any type of unbelief that's in you, whether a little or a lot, in some form or fashion, can affect the outcome of the promise given you. At least the promise come to pass in your life. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Saints, even the demons and Satan himself believe in God. Why is it that in the house of God as sons and daughters Sometimes we just don't believe, period. The worst enemy we have believes in some form or fashion. But sons and daughters have a hard time believing. Unbelief is demonic at every turn. And it seeks to choke you out as well as the word given to you by your father. But as we start to turn, you know what soil we have not yet mentioned? The good soil. Somebody say, that soil's good. That soil's good. The good soil is the heart of the sons and daughters of God that have seen the goodness of God prove faithful throughout the course of their lifetime, realizing that he's never once given them reason to doubt his spoken word over them. They not only hear it and receive it, but they fully believe it, like Abraham, fully believe it, they get excited about it, and they fully act on it, and it leads to producing fruit. 30, 60, and 100-fold. Some of you in this room may need to believe for the very first time that the last promise the Lord spoken to you will actually come true. Others of you just need to re be reminded that he's already done it for you in the past and that he will do it again because he's never given you a reason to doubt. He's never once given you a reason to doubt. The Israelites in the wilderness. Man, we, Devin and I were talking last night. It feels like every five seconds there was some sort of unbelief with them for 40 years. The Lord, time after time after time, and throughout 40 years, here it is. Here's the answer. Here I am. Repent. Okay. Five seconds later, unbelief. Got to repent again. Here I am. I'll fix it. Five seconds later, unbelief. I'll repent again. Like the cycle, the, the mountain that you ride around over and over with this unbelief. This is why it's so imperative that we annihilate it at first glance. 
Because a little bit of unbelief will lead to a lot of unbelief. A little bit of unbelief will lead to the dirt road path out there that cannot receive it, period. Amen. And this morning we're saying we're not going to get there, amen? I believe it's time for the church to get excited about all that he wants to do. Amen. And to get excited, you first have to believe, amen? Amen. Go ahead with yours. Church, if anything can be taken away from this message this far, we want you to take home with you that unbelief cannot be tolerated. And the only way to write belief is found in the one who dwells in your hearts. Here's some patterns we're going to begin to understand about the kingdom of God. Unbelief is always going to be trying to keep creeping out your door. Therefore, how important is it that you find your right belief in him every single day? Think about that. Every single day. Have you yielded every single day to the Lord? Because if you do not, you're going to start to realize a pattern. I'm very inconsistent, but he's very consistent. A lot of you are sitting here in anxiety. What do you mean, pastor? I, I don't believe all the time. What does that mean about me? It simply means that you must go before your father every day. It feels like such a big topic and it can produce a lot of anxiety because we realize that we may have more unbelief in our hearts than we want. That's okay, son. You can go to your father and he'll give you the belief that you need. He's greater than all unbelief. And soon we will see that he longs to help us in it. True belief always leads to fulfillment and excitement follows behind. Because you only are excited about what your expectation allows you to be. I've been saying that for a couple weeks. Man, the Holy Spirit smacked me with that. That was a better way of saying it, by the way. I was sitting at my computer like, how do we say this better? (laughs) Your excitement about what your expectation, you're only excited about what your expectation allows you to be excited about. When you're walking each day, and your expectation is rising. Man, I can't wait to see Landon this, today. Because he is my best friend. Don't do this to me right <laughs> And whenever I walk into the door and I see my brother, my excitement begins to rise. I can't help it. Man, I can't wait to see the Lord operate in this person today. Or I can't wait to wash my wife in the word because, Lord, I know you're going to give me something for her. It has everything to do with what you believe the Father wants to do in you. And the moment that we start to unbelieve, I don't believe Landon wants to spend time with me. As we start to hide away from Landon. The moment that we start to uh, yield ourselves to unbelief and, and, and saying things like, I don't believe that God truly loves me then you won't live out the beloved identity that comes with the blood of Christ. See, saints, we give too much time over to unbelief. And truthfully, we're laying a foundation so that we can look at each other and say, brother, that's unbelief. Sister, that's unbelief. And if you do not check it, if you do not allow the Holy Spirit to come in and take root in your heart and, and, and bring forth truth in you, then unbelief will cause you to choke out and die. We have to get this right because we have to take step forwards each day. Therefore, we must lay ourselves before him each day. True belief always leads to fulfillment and excitement follows behind. When we take hold of him and our faith grows in trusting the father and his words that he speaks in our hearts, that then begins to swell with joy inside of us again. It is our eyes that begin to become brightened again. And we, in full expectation, await all the beautiful works to be completed in our lives if we believe in them. Key point. One way, one thing that heals unbelief and builds our faith is going before his throne in the secret place. And he always being there, awaiting your arrival. It's not, it's not he who causes unbelief. It's us, friends. 
It's our inconsistencies. He's always faithful. Jesus modeled this so well for us. This morning, we want to spend the rest of our time testifying to the man who can melt all belief. To the one who is our firm foundation and to the one who can renew all hope, even in this room this morning. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah 50 with us this morning. Say there when you are there. Verse 4 says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning, awakens my ear to listen to the one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offer my back to those who beat me, my chest, On my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. The sovereign Lord is with me. Therefore have I set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. Friends, Isaiah 50 is a direct prophecy to Jesus Christ to come later in history. When we, we know what took place for Jesus as we have the benefit of now having the word in our possession. But I want to highlight a few points here. First off, Jesus was a man who had his face set like flint in regards to completing his father's work. Did you know that flint, when struck by steel, it sparks? It is hard. Harder than the other rocks that make up the Negev. Jesus set his face like flint in the walls of Negev. He was so resolute and unshakable to get to Jerusalem to complete his true mission on earth. That nothing could get in the way that he might get on the cross for us. Jesus' belief in his father's work led to actions that saved the world. His face was set like flint towards it. Many times, Jesus had the opportunity to cut his work short. You could probably recall a few of them. For us, we face mental battles that take our eyes off of his will. For Jesus, he, had his, uh, he faced temptation by the devil himself. His family pleading with him to stop his mission. His own disciples betraying him. His beard ripped off of his face. Most of his disciples not showing up for the crucifixion. And many other severe trials ahead of heaven before the cross. But his face was set like flint. Hebrews 4 verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable, listen to this, unable to empathize with our weaknesses. A lot of our unbelief has to do with a lot of our weakness. And he's able to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Just as Jesus' face was towards his Father, let it be that we find our confidence and our belief in his work at his feet. Let us continue in Isaiah 50, verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who he? Who is he who will condemn me? They will all wear out like garments. The moths will eat them up. 
Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his, of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and will lie on his God. With his face set like flint, being fully convinced in his father's work, it dispelled all accusers and gave God's sons the upper hand. Like our king, we must take all unbelief to the throne and watch his presence eradicate all whispering lies that have been causing his sons to be unfruitful and to fear as unbelief had pervaded their hearts. If we wish to move forward, it starts every day at the feet of the one who loves us. This is the message for you today. Church, our faith and belief in the Son has to become as concrete as Jesus' faith towards the Father's will. He was immovable. And it's because His eye gates were towards the Father and all of His promises. And no matter what happened along the journey, daily, he dwelled with the Father, and the Father reminded him, Son, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. I delight in you. Let your delight be in me. You first have to come to him. Are we there yet? Do you believe yet? We're learning as we continue to to move forward in this, and we're going to start coming to a close here soon because we talked your ear off last week. We're going to start coming to a close here soon, but a small recap is we've learned thus far that unbelief is demonic. It's wicked at every turn. It causes you to be unproductive in the kingdom. It causes the promises of God to be fruitless over time. Do you believe yet? We also learned that belief leads to excitement and joy. You get excited about what you really believe. Yeah. Like really believe. You get excited about what you believe and action always follows excitement as Pastor Devin said. If your action follows your excitement then that means that on the back of action comes fruit. So you believe rightly you get excited about it. You get excited about it, you want. You cannot wait to put it into action. Lord, what do I do first? It's the question we're going to ask you. What do I do first, Lord? You've promised me this. For some of you, the Lord has promised you that your father will be redeemed. For some of you, he's promised that your family member, your brothers, your sisters, will receive the salvation you've been praying for for some, maybe some of you years. Your sons, your daughters. Maybe you have illnesses. Maybe you have family members with cancer. Lifelong disease will be gone in the name of Jesus. Do you believe it, though? If he speaks it, are you faithful to just believe in full belief? Because that's what's going to get you excited and allow you then to put into action your belief, starting with intercession, prayer, all the things the Lord shows to you as he shows you step by step what your role in that promise looks like cannot be fulfilled if there's unbelief. Turn with us to John 15. As you're turning there, I want to begin to wrap up some loose ends for you. God gives us vision. We then have a responsibility of walking towards that every single day. But sometimes it looks like prayer, and other days it looks like facilitating physically maybe things in your life for that to be accomplished. Our role in this is that when God speaks it, we then are obedient to walk forward towards it every day. We have a responsibility of seeking the Lord while he may be found and asking him, Lord, what would you have of me to do for today? For I know all these big, big, who's, who's received big vision in life? Like, big stuff. How are you going to, how you going to get there? It's, it's one step of obedience each day that gets you there. Yeah. You in John 15? Yes. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Saints, as we start to turn towards a close, I want to unpack this just for a minute. I need your attention. I want you to get this. We've progressed throughout this message, and we've gotten to the point where that in order to bear fruit within the word or promise spoken, you must first believe and not walk in unbelief. Reading these verses in John 15, you may have heard it said, or you may have believed growing up, or maybe you just always read it into the verse because it makes sense. That there are two types of branches. There are branches that produce fruit, and there are branches that don't produce fruit. The ones that do produce fruit are continually pruned by the vine dresser in order that they may continue to bear more and more fruit. The ones that don't produce fruit are cut off and thrown away into the fire to wither and burn. One branch is accepted, one is destroyed. Can we agree that that's pretty much the general understanding yes. of that passage? That's what most of you, if not all of you, and myself believed. We believe you can only be one or the other. The text does not say that. There are actually three types of branches. I'm going to break this down for you because it's important. The first type of branch found in verse 2. And I really do believe there's a reason he starts with this branch. The first type of branch in verse 2. Every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser takes away. The second type of branch, also found at the end of verse 2. Every branch that is in me that does bear fruit, the vine dresser prunes that it may bear even more fruit. The third type of branch found in verse 6 at the end. Every branch that does not abide in me, that whether it produces fruit of any kind or not, it is thrown away and it withers. And all of those branches collectively are gathered and thrown into the fire to be burned. Most of us have only gotten caught up on the parts that Jesus mentioned, branches that produce good fruit and branches that don't. One gets thrown into the fire and one gets to be accepted by him. But missing certain points, certain parts hidden within verse 2 can and will affect the way you view the gospel of the kingdom as a whole. So important. It's imperative that we get it today because it can seriously affect how we walk in right belief with our, belief with our Father. Verse 2 again says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Two branches, both found in him. Both in him. One bears fruit, one does not. The third one's not in him, period, and the Lord erases it off the, off the table. So we started with three, we're down to two. Both in him, one bears fruit, one does not. Again, I, say, or I said earlier that I believe there's a reason that he mentions the one that's in him not bearing fruit first. And I think the gospel is found in it. Because the word when Jesus says, whoever is found in me not bearing fruit, I take away. Because of the rest of those next few verses, you kind of just assume that he just kind of wipes you off the table too. It can be read that way. But the word for takes away, you might want to write this down, but I also want you to be here and focus. So that's up to you. Is G, Strong's number G142. It says, uh, Iro. I'm not Greek. But listen, that word for takes away. The Lord doesn't give any context as to what he's doing with you, where he's taking you. He just takes you away. 
But when Jesus says he takes away the one that does not bear fruit that is found in his presence, he's saying that word means to raise up, to elevate, to lift up, to lift up by the hand, to reach down and take you by the hand and pull you up to himself. Specifically, to take upon oneself and carry what has been raised up. So when Jesus says to you, if you are found in this room this morning, in him, I believe every single one of you in here love the Lord with all your heart. I believe that most of us in here still have unbelief in our hearts somewhere at the same time. The good news is for all of us in this room is that his solution to your unbelief is not to throw you off the table the same as it was for the ones who weren't found in him. There's a reason you're inside of this room. You love the Lord. He knows that. He loves you. And instead of casting you out with the rest of them, he takes you by the hand, throws you upon his shoulder, and walks you to the destination until you can stand on your own two feet. Amen. Critical point is that the one that abides in Jesus but does not bear fruit, he does not cast out. Rather, he draws them close to himself. Literally, the scripture describes, picks him up upon himself and carries them along. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of the kingdom. That just because you don't make it, because unbelief's demonic, doesn't mean that you're screwed like maybe some people have told you are. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not once saved, always saved. This is, hey, you love me and I love you. You're not getting it right. Sometimes you have to have the conversation every week until you get it right. It can be annoying sometimes. It can be hard. There are some of us in this room who feel like we're around the mountain and around the mountain and around the mountain. When is it ever going to stop? Really when you choose to believe. But the Lord is patient. And he will take you by the hand, carry you on his shoulder like a shepherd carries a lamb. And walk you until you are choosing to believe. This is perhaps the most important gospel trait in this set of verses, and it gives us hope today. If you are here today and you are walking in belief of any kind, and it's causing you to not be able to produce fruit within the promise given to you, within the word that he spoke to you, that might be a new job. Maybe you're trying to get pregnant. And maybe that's a word spoken to you like Pastor Kaysen and Kendall a long time ago. But is there unbelief there? I'm not saying you'll never get pregnant if you don't believe. I'm saying that because the Lord has never once failed you, because he's never let you down, what reason do you have to choose not to believe? Maybe your marriage needs to be restored. Maybe your spouse needs to be saved. Son or daughter, when did you stop believing that that will happen? When did you stop believing that your family members would be redeemed? That starting with you, generations would produce fruit for the kingdom. If you're a first-generation Christian, then it's important that you believe that you are the first of many to follow. And that those many that follow you will do even better than you did because they're growing that much more expediently with their father. If you are failing to produce the fruit that full belief brings, his answer is not to cast you away. It is to pull you close, raise you up, elevate your spirit, take you by the hand and throw you like a big man over his shoulder and walk you to the finish line until you can stand on your own two feet. He meets you where you're at. And like the father in Luke 15, meeting his son coming home, says, son, let me help you. Let me help you believe. Because I know you. I know your heart. It's pure. You love me. Let's figure this out together. Let us reason together. Turn with us a few pages over to John 20 as Pastor Devin wraps up for us. So instead, of, instead of turning there, how about you stand with us? Verse 24. 
bringing this thing to a head. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God, and Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen him and yet have believed. We can approach the throne of God with confidence because he will always show up in our unbelief. He was so good to Thomas that he came back again just for him to touch his hands and to touch his side. How gracious is our Father in our unbelief that He would come in our time of need. If that's you this morning, if there's unbelief left inside of your heart and you know it, you struggle with it, come to the front this morning and have a visitation with the Lord. If you just want to have a visitation of the Lord, I want, to, I want you to be, become more real in my life. Sometimes I doubt your plans and doubt your ways. And watch the Lord come enter into your life and show you again.